Hello and welcome to Joe Talks Comics. This is the podcast where I talk with fans about the comics I've been reading and enjoying lately. Plus, I catch up with solo episodes and creator interviews. And after a long stretch, almost two months, it's like maybe six, seven weeks. Um, that's not including all the Kickstarter conversations, so it's a bit more than, than seven episodes. Anyway, point being, back of a good old-fashioned talking comics episode with a, a friend. Just, you know, talking about some good old comics with a, a great friend. Owen, normally 616 on New Metaverse, depending on where you know him, from like the Radiant Black Discord or the League of Comic Geeks or any other Discords you might be in or Twitter. Or... Anyway, yeah, so we talked about all things Chip Zdarsky, and we're both big fans of his work, so at least the things we've read, anyway. So it was really fun just to spend like an hour or so just like talking about such a fantastic creator, like the writer of such great works like After Left, The All-Nighter, the current one on Batman, Batman the Night, he did a Batman Urban Legend story, he did that issue of Crossover which was really good, he's got a fantastic phenomenal Daredevil run with Marco Cicchetto, I think I said that right at the moment, it's just killing out, I need to catch up, I need to read the new series after it relaunched after Devil's Reign, but yeah, I, I've really enjoyed what I've read, just, and yeah, of course Devil's Reign as well, How about the Dark, I still need to read that, uh, Invaders, Jughead, Justice League Last Ride, Katara, Marvel 2-in-1, New Burn, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, which recently got its own... There's going to be a Spider-Man by Chip Zdarsky on the bus, which contains that run, plus Life Story and Spider-Shadow. I haven't seen... I haven't read Spider-Shadow yet, but uh, it's supposed to be fun from what I've heard, so I absolutely love that we're getting that on the bus. Things like Public Domain, Sex Criminals, the first issue of Silver Coin, Stillwater, X-Men and Fantastic Four... And uh, Star-Lord, of course, he did the art on Sex Criminals by Matt Fraction, written by Matt Fraction, with art by Jeff Starsky, sorry. And I believe I mentioned Public Domain. But yes, that's hopefully coming back soon to print for the second art. Anyway, point being, there's a fantastic title. Some I've read and loved, some I haven't read yet. We get into it, so I think without further ado, I'll let you get into the episode. I hope you enjoy, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Owen, normally 616, or New Massiverse, and Massiverse Central, I think that's all the names. I'd like to welcome you to the podcast, it's nice to have you here. It's nice to be on here, long-time listener, first-time guest, and I have, and I gotta say, I'm excited. Yeah, it should be fun, I think we've got a fun episode lined up. Uh, first of all, do you want to just sort of introduce yourself, maybe just say a bit about yourself in the comics community? Oh, yeah, sure, as opposed to... Um, hello to all the listeners of Joe's podcast. Uh, my name's Owen. Um, I'm a relative newbie when it came to the comic scene. I only really began reading comics like five or so years ago. But like when I first discovered the Massiverse around a little over a year ago now, I discovered this incredible community with so many people who I now consider to be friends. I even got the opportunity to meet with some of the creators, which never would have thought that would have ever happened. Um, I'm usually Massiverse Central on Twitter after the previous owner of the Twitter account decided that he no longer could do it due to personal reasons, so I mainly run the account. Um, but mostly I just, you know, hang around, talk pop culture stuff. It's, uh, pretty fun. And I also YouTube on occasion, so. Yeah, it's, it's always fun to see how much you've sort of got going on and just in terms of, like, the Massiverse stuff, but also, I know, um, at, at the time this has been recorded when 
Lauren said in, the, in her Discord that you should be like the neighbourhood newsman or whatever it was. I thought that was quite appropriate and fitting because we're always sort of sharing the links and things for everyone to look at in various Discords nowadays, I suppose. Yeah, I feel like that role feels very appropriate. Yeah, so you might have seen this, hopefully you saw this in the title of the episode in the description. And I have to say, the name Chit Chat was entirely uh, associated with and created by Owen. It just sort of suggested, suggested that was the one I was looking for. And it, it was just such a fun name, I just had to stick with it. I feel I've said fun so many times already. But that, that is definitely something that comes through with Zdarsky's writing. When did you first discover um, Chip Zdarsky and his sort of various comics work? Um... <laughs> I think I actually first began, I knew, I'm well, the first work I encountered with Zdarsky before I knew his name was when he started writing the Howard the Duck series for Marvel back around like 2015, 2016. Oh, yeah. But the first time I really became aware of his name was when he ended up becoming the writer for Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man back around 2017. And, you know, ever since I've been... On again, off again, following his work, but it was really like this year that I really began to follow his work. Like I'm currently in the process of building a collection of Chip uh, because I'm just such a big fan of his work. Uh, and also his Substack is, it's just amazing. Every single time I go in my inbox and I find a new Sadarsky newsletter, I get excited. Yeah, I've said before that getting a new... Uh edition issue or whatever you want to call it of that newsletter is like a bundle of chaotic comedic joy bursting into your inbox so that, that that's what it's always fun to see that coming up but it's always guaranteed to put a smile on your face yeah it's very rare i read i laugh aloud whenever i read something but chip is one of those few people that manage to do it anytime i read his newsletter it's just so funny yeah and i think it, it is something that's really interesting that also speaks to the character and the personality he's created because I know he, I think you sort of talked about it a couple of times before but I didn't actually realize for like a long time probably way too long that like Chip Zdarsky wasn't even his real name I, I don't know why but it just maybe it's just that that's how effective a name and character he developed for himself that lots of people don't know that it's not actually just like a pen name or it's interesting yeah what many people yeah for those who actually don't know uh, Chip Zdarsky is not actually his real name. His real name is actually Steve Murray. Chip Zdarsky was a pen name he created because he wanted to create this alter ego for himself that is basically the opposite of who he is. So he's basically this guy who has clearly no idea what he's doing. But then eventually people quickly caught on that Chip and Steve were the same person. He's like, oh, there goes that. Yeah, especially when you sort of look, look into like his previous work and his like sort of career. So I, I think he did like a newspaper column at one point and it was like a whole like comic strips and it, it was like a name he generated for that. And then it sort of, sort of spawned into his comics work and everything with like sex, sex criminals with Matt Fraction, which I still haven't read, but it's something I interested to at least try out someday. So, yeah. Yeah, Sam, I have also yet to read sex criminals, although I will definitely be getting on that soon. It's just, you know, it's find a time and place for that. Yeah, I remember it. it so because it, it was last year, it was the going back to the name thing. It was the cover for crossover issue number seven. Oh yeah, that's right. If you 
if anyone's on knows that cover or what it's like, there's it's 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 a really cool cover. There's like a like a phone pole, like a wooden phone pole with like a missing post on it, and it's like Chip Zdarsky, aka Steve Murray. And at first, I was like, oh oh, that's fun. Like, uh, it's all picked like a random normal name to seem like it's just like an alter ego thing, because it feels like Chip Zdarsky isn't exactly like it's it's a pretty unique name what it feels that way. And if I don't know, know that like Steve Murray was actually the real name and Chip Zdarsky was the like the nickname and my mind was blown from that point, I have to say. Yeah, and then in the actual issue itself, you actually see Steve Murray talk with Chip Zdarsky because apparently there was an issue of sex criminals where Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky appear as themselves. And because the event in Crossover basically brought to life most comic book characters, evidently that also brought to life the chip caricature as well which was pretty funny yeah it's pretty fun to see on the league of comic geeks on the that listing for that issue in terms of characters it actually separates them out as like steve mavic brackets crossover and chip zadarsky brackets sex criminals so like it even makes that distinction if like it wasn't even clear that's yeah amazing i love when they do little details like that that's really nice yeah because I, I remember that for that issue in particular, I, I remember sort of like seeing that solicit and the, we're looking at the dates, the sixth issue, yeah, the first arc was, was either just finished or was about to finish. So I had like no idea what that issue was going to be, but it was so good and one of the best in the series, which the time it, it's been a bit of a break for a while now, but the time it was going on, I was so up and down on it, but that was definitely one of the highlights yeah i still need to get around to reading it because i've only read like the first volume of crossover but i am planning on picking up volume two when i can because even just for the chip issue but obviously of course you know all the stuff that comes after it as well because i hear a lot ends up happening yeah it's a pretty well series the first i wasn't too big on the first arc i it still started to like be a bit gray thing in terms of the like yeah, if you, if you know the gimmick, we sort of mentioned it and sort of alluded to it, but I thought then, like, the second arc was a, a lot better in terms of how it sort of actually, like, utilised that to make an interesting story rather than just... I don't know, it's something something about the first arc felt a bit hollow to me in that sense, but I definitely enjoyed the second one a lot more. Oh, that gives me enough incentive to want to pick it up. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely worth a try, I think. Um, Something you sort of touched on early a bit earlier was his spectacular spider-man run because those were funny enough some of the first like american comics i'd ever read as opposed to to, it's been years i don't know if they still do them but over here in the uk in like the news agents and things they would have these like magazine pack things and there would be like three or four comics in one it'd be like maybe like five quid or five pounds whatever um, and I remember picking those up, and then my uncle, he had a bunch of the issues of Chips, but spectacular Spider-Man. What, Adam Kubert on art at one point? I don't know how many issues he did, but I remember that coming to mind. Anyway, and I, I remember just having like a stack of them. I mean, they, they just seemed like really short. Like they, they looked short compared to the ones I was used to, which was obviously like three or four in one, like I said, and then. I, I was like, oh, like, these will take me barely any time to read. And of course, they didn't, because 
you know, like, like a sing, solid single issue might take you maybe 10, 20 minutes to read on average, at least personally. So it was like a fun sort of experience in terms of like Spider-Man and comics in general. And it's definitely something that I, I want to reread. I've been, I, I've had the itch to reread it recently, but I think the trades are out of print and I sold off the issues. So it's been years, but I, I'd be putting on the bus someday, honestly. That would be awesome. Yeah, because I actually remember that I started reading it like as it was coming out around 2017. I have like the first two, three issues. But the problem was, was that around that same time frame, the comic shop that I used to go to to pick up books actually shut down. So like there was a point uh. 2017 to like early 2021 where I just wasn't reading comics. Not because I didn't want to, but because I just couldn't find any other stores. But thankfully enough, I found one in early 2021. And then I found out about Radiant Black, and then of course you know the rest is history from there. And so I never actually got to fully read all of Chip's Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, I did read the some of the first arc. I do know about the conversation that Peter had with Jonah, where he revealed his identity. Yeah. And I did read the last issue that Chip did, which he wrote and illustrated himself about this documentary being made about what Spider-Man means to people. And that single issue might be my favorite modern Spider-Man one-shot ever. Either that or Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man issue 6 by Tom Taylor, which introduces the spider bite. And the reason why I love that one so much is because my all-time favorite Spider-Man story is the kid who collects Spider-Man. And uh, Mm. if you're familiar with that story, you'll see why I like Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man issue 6 so much. But, yeah. Yeah, I actually starting to read that i think it was issue 310 maybe the maybe like chips last issue with the documentary because that's one of the issues where i like dipped out of the run a few issues before that it was like the end of a story so it was a good like stopping point and of course at that point i didn't really know how much longer it would be going on for so generally wasn't sort of as tapped into sort of comic solicits and news on them nowadays but then of course years on i've I had so many good things about that issue, and it's something that I need to circle back around to, especially also Tom Taylor's friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, because I haven't read that either. So, yeah, there's some Spidey, both modern and otherwise, that I need to catch up on at some point. Yeah, because there is a lot of Spider-Man stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not to get too off track, but... Oh, no, I suppose... I suppose he wrote he wrote the life story as well, so it, it can still be on, on track, but... The slight tangent this year, it's been quite fun. I've sort of marvelled have reprinted a couple of the Spider- like most popular um, Spider-Man on the bus of like the classic runs. So I've got to read those, like the uh, JMS and JRDR, that sort of initial one from the 2000s, the first on the bus of that, and Ultimate Spider-Man. So it's really cool to read those like classic runs finally, and I just hope to buy the rest of the volumes eventually. It's really nice that whenever they decide to do something like that, because I actually have a little bit, uh, I read a little bit of Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, I have like the first two trades, uh, which contain like the first 13 odd issues. I still need to read the J. Michael Straczynski Spider-Man because, you know, our good mutual friend Parker, he mentioned about how it was his favorite Spider-Man run ever. And that was also the run where he ended up introducing Morloon and also, you know, the concept of the yeah. But it was also the run that also gave us stuff like Sins Past in One More Day. So with the good, yeah. the, best, the very, very bad. Yeah, like I have to say that whole 
specifically the JMS JRGR run, which goes, yeah, starts with the modern storyline, like you mentioned, and then wraps up. And I find it quite cool. It was something that I didn't really expect, but that without spoiling thing, the last arc of that run, of like the, the JRGR does, it takes things full circle in a really sort of nice and satisfying way, which I found quite pleasantly surprising. And then, of course, yeah, like you say, since past, which was as bad as everyone says it was, absolutely just horrible. It's the only way to describe it. I'm so glad Nick Spencer retconned that in his Spider-Man run. Yeah, if there's anything good that came out of that Spencer run, it's that retcon, even if it took a long time to get to it. Plus, the Ryan Atley artwork was really solid. Oh, yeah, that first sort of like dozen or so issues, and then he sort of came back periodically. Yeah, because I, I remember that cover to, I think it might have been 8, 850, or it might have been like, um, yeah, I think it was 8, 850. I, I, I love that awesome Ryan Otley cover. Some of that Spidey work on that run was just is so good. Oh, the Carnage issues, the absolute Carnage issues. I wasn't reading, I dropped the run by that point, but I picked up those issues because of a the artwork and because i was loving that venom run and absolute carnage so speaking of venom i still need to get around to reading the donny kate's venom because i've heard nothing but great things oh yeah especially with the omnibus of that coming out yeah well, i suppose that. yeah i suppose this this might not go live for a few months so as you're seeing this it's probably already out but as we're recording, it's not out for another couple of weeks. So, yeah, I'm very excited for that as well because Stab it ordered one book. So, sort of staying on the Spider Man train, but sort of switching back to Sadarsky a bit. Have you read Life Story? Yes, I have. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, like, I, I lose track of so It's like, have, I, have, I, have we talked about this before? Like, sometimes you lose track of what your friends have read or whatever. So, yeah, I can totally see that. But, yeah, man, Life Story is really fantastic because, one, I love the idea of let's reanalyze Spider-Man's history, but we actually tell it in real time. So, like, when he's, like, 15 years old in 1962 when he's first bitten by the spider, and then we, like, flash forward to 2019 in the final issue and Peter's, like, in his 90s or whatever, it's like, that makes sense. And, two seeing how differently things would have played out if he made certain decisions, it made for a really interesting alternate universe story. And those last few panels of issue six, they get me every single time. I know, it's such an emotional finale, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I remember uh, it was one of those series where I was like, oh yeah, I need to pick this up eventually. It was something that was on my list. Uh, the start of the year maybe and then they released the deluxe edition like all six issues plus the annual that they did a bit later a couple of years later with jonah i was like okay yeah this is the sign i need to grab this and then i read it, and it yeah it's such a great story yeah mark bagley has always been one of my favorite spider-man artists ever since i first read ultimate spider-man but in the time like life story shows the fact that in the time since he's first done Spider-Man, since like the early nineties, he's only gotten better at his craft. And, you know, he's absolutely knocking it out of the park on the current adjectiveless Spider-Man series he's currently doing with Dan Slot. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, I've sort of heard it said before that it's sort of really interesting in that series how it sort of fits 
each of the different decades that is being betrayed like in different ways it really worked it feels very like versatile in that sense and then especially like uh i i mean like looking at the covers i think the covers are done by Sadowski himself but it's such like a like an interesting idea to put off and i know it's maybe not for everyone and but it's it's, it's something that i i definitely want to reread because it's one of those things when it's been like if the like time between reading something and writing a review for it, then sometimes I just need to just completely reread it to get it back fresh in my memory. And it's definitely one of those series that I might end up rereading to write a review on it because it, it is it's so good, something special for sure. Yeah. And what I find really cool is about how I think either like a year or two after Sudarsky did that, he did the Spider Man Spider Shadow miniseries which was a what-if story that basically showcased what if Spider-Man had actually kept the Venom symbiote instead of getting rid of it, and what if Peter Parker had become Venom instead, which, talk about two very different stories. Yeah, exactly. I still need to read that, but yeah, I, I know good things. It's definitely something I want to check out someday. It's very good, and the artwork is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, again, the covers just are so intriguing. Maybe you want to check it out alone. Yeah, those Phil Noto uh, covers were absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah. I think something that really stood out to me about Life Story was how the different sort of like key storylines and events of each decade sort of weaved in to make like a nice cohesive story. Like, oh, yeah. Hmm. I know, I know sort of some people might have said that it sort of comes across as like cramped or like. Uh, rushed at times in terms of trying to like get various things into, especially because each decade there's only like, one issue but I almost thought that's kind of like the charm of it like it's not going to be some like drawn out um, like epic it, it's it's like an interesting experiment in terms of sort of like threading it all together yeah I actually will admit that one of the few few little critiques that I did actually have was that I really wish the fact that I just could have gotten to read more, but I think that really speaks to the quality of how well the book is because I just really wanted to see more stories in this world and with these characters because it's because they allude to and showcase a lot that ends up happening within those six issues. And I'm like, well, but I really want to see this or I really want to see how this story would have played out or something like that. Yeah, because I think from what I've heard that Zdarsky did pitch it as like a, a wider, more larger scale thing, sort of covering like the Marvel Universe in general. And may, maybe even each decade was like its own, gonna be like 12 issue miniseries or whatever. And it was apparently told to like slim it down and like focus on one character. And so I always think that's like an interesting criticism to hear about that it's actually ended up being very too far the other way for some people in terms of too short. And, yeah, as you said, there's definitely lots of room to expand. There's lots of sort of like plot threads from like the wider Marvel universe that we never like actually see, or we just maybe see only through the lens of Spider-Man and how he grows over time. Yeah, I think they also are currently doing a Fantastic Four life story, but I don't know. Mm, yeah, they did. I don't know if it's connected to the Spider-Man one or if it's just a completely separate one. Yeah, I'm not sure actually. I think mean, they might just be separate. I heard that that sort of changed things more in terms of the 
I don't know, I don't know how true that is because I haven't read it for myself yet, but that's one of the things I heard about it. Although I actually do believe the fact that the artist of that Fantastic Four Life Story miniseries, I think he's actually going to be doing the art for the upcoming Joshua Williamson Green Arrow book that he's doing in April. And I know this because apparently he follows me on Twitter for some reason. No idea why, I just know he does. Oh, that's wild. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, Carlos Magno. Oh, no, Sean, there's multiple artists listed on, listed on her. I think it's Sean... Yeah, yeah, Sean is Zach. Um, yeah, it was yeah, it was Sean. I, I, don't, I don't know how to pronounce that. I don't know how to pronounce that last name, but and neither do I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I couldn't think of it when you were saying it, but then as soon as I looked at the like found the issues itself, I was like, oh yeah. Oh, Francesco Mena did worked on issue four. Really? Just looking through the, just looking through the issues. Yeah, I remember when I after Supermassive when I saw he was going to do the Carnage series, and I was like, oh, that's neat. Yeah, I, I actually was like... person now. Yeah, that's always really cool when you find out about, like, when an artist, like, um, I think Erica de Urso is actually doing the covers for the upcoming Betsy Braddock series, and I'm like, oh, hey, I know her! Yeah, it's like when um, Luana Vicio, the her Rogue Sun covers started being revealed, I was like, hey, hang on! It's my new favorite, one of my new favorite artists from this year that I've her artwork is. I mean, I... Mm. Sorry, yeah. I was just about to say the fact that yeah, the the artwork that she does for the not just for the main like Rogue Sun covers, but also that variant cover that she did for Dead Lucky as well. It just oh yeah, looks so good and Lovesick too. I haven't read it because I think it might be a little bit too intense for me, given you know its subject matter. But from what the bits and pieces I did see, I know it looks amazing. The art is absolutely gorgeous. Like, and again, if you've seen her art, then that, that probably won't be a surprise. But which, yeah, it does create a very interesting um, dichotomy with the story, which is very like disturbing. But it's like disturbing, but I can't look away. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's like when you watch a like a car wreck or a dumpster fire. It's just it's so hard to look away. It's like eyes, but yeah, I can't. And, and, and like it's interesting because I remember sort of thinking that it's like that that's like a negative connotation, but it's like yeah, it, it it is like that where you're like you can't look away, but also it's like the most beautiful and like well crafted car wreck that you've ever seen. And I mean, yeah, I feel like that that's one of the books and artists that I'm always recommending on these episodes, but again, Valero from last year was just, oh, I can't even start this year as we're recording, but again, it, it's much less intense than Lovesick, but still, sort of still slightly mature in some places, but yeah, I remember Lovesick issue two, that was a lot more, it, it felt like a step up from the first issue, in terms of intensity, and I feel like it's only going to get more intense, but I am very intrigued and looking forward to seeing where it goes. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So, another notable Marvel series that he's worked on has been Daredevil. That's been so widely acclaimed these days as one of of the best superhero books going on that's often stated. What has your sort of been like experience and journey with that run then? So I remember that I heard bits and pieces about it, but it didn't really come to a head when 
around last year, they ended up announcing that it would lead into the devil's reign. So I decided, um, so I actually looked on, because I have Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, and they had this thing where you could get three free months of Marvel Unlimited. And I'm like, oh, that's actually really cool. And I decided to use that opportunity to like read all of Sadarsky's Daredevil because I heard nothing but the best about it. Is absolutely amazing. Like this book is just so good. Sadarsky has such a great understanding of Matt Murdock and his world, and the way that he's like expanding it out, like as things go along. Like it starts out relatively streetwise, but now in the current stuff, the literal premise is Matt and Electra form an organization to go to war against Frank Castle and the Hand. Which is wild. And it's crazy to think the fact that it only started publication like three years ago. And think so much has happened in that time. Yeah, I mean, so the thing is, when it started, looking on here, it started back in February of 2019, which actually is closer to four years uh, almost, which is just even wilder. But it was it was definitely one, one of those series that still came out when I was still very like new into collecting single issues, and so I didn't quite pick it up, but I sort of heard about it vaguely on. I was like, just sort of got more and more into the community. Yeah, because currently right now for Marvel, I'm only reading like three or four books at the moment. And they're Amazing Spider-Man by Zeb Wells, Adjectiveless Spider-Man by Dan Slott, uh, The Mystery of Ultra 7 miniseries that Kyle and Matt Groom are currently doing right now. But that's going to conclude in like a month. And Daredevil. And out of all those books that I'm currently reading right now, Daredevil is like the best out of them. Well, that doesn't say that I don't hate Amazing Spider-Man or regular Spider-Man. I think they're both good, but in terms of quality, I think Daredevil's, like, the best. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I've had a slightly interesting relationship with this book. In terms of, I remember, like, the cover to issue 21, just that gorgeous Chetto artwork with that, like, red suit. And I just, I, I love the colors and how just sort of, like, rich it feels. And I remember sort of reading that issue and then the annual and thinking like it was good, but it wasn't something that I necessarily wanted to read like month to month. And of course, the whole thing of like Electra happens and then King Black, which I, uh, going back to that Venom one, which, which I loved. And then, yeah, it was really like the Electra stuff that got me like picking it up month to month. That was really cool arc. Yeah, the Marco's artwork is absolutely fantastic. And I love the fact that Chip was actually able to integrate the King in Black stuff. Like, Because obviously it's inevitability with the big two. Whenever there's a big event, there's always going to be tie-ins. But I love the fact that Chip was able to have the tie-ins thematically tie into like what Matt is going through right now as a character. And also, the fact that Electra serving as Daredevil is a concept that I don't think had actually been done before, at least in mainline Marvel continuity, it's like, that's actually like a really cool idea, and her suit looks amazing. Right? Oh, it's so good. And yeah, I remember there was a time, like, last year, I want to say, my comic shop, there was someone that um, hadn't picked up any of their issues in, like, forever. Nepolis and Ferret was just like, obviously bad. If the comic shop, if you have a Polis, like go pick it up. If some reason you know, comics enough to be listening to this, but not enough to go to pick up your Polis. But just like in general, um, support your local comic shop. And anyway, point being that even like when going back to Daredevil, that practically went back to the beginning of the run. So, like, oh, do you want to 
they'd sort of ask me if I was interested in buying them. And then I sort of gradually like bought them up. And so I, I got to read that most of that whole run, like from the beginning. And like every part of it, like there's sort of been different phases of it, and every part of it has been so good. Because so again, like like full spoilers in a way, after the first arc, when everything that happens with the man he kills, and then he feels so guilty about that that the amount of time he actually spends outside the suit, like that was just as good as the first arc of all that the crime boss drama, and then how that exploded into the electro stuff, which was just as good. And even yeah, as you say, like the tie-ins, it's just all so good. And then I love how he, in addition to obviously, of course, you know more recent Daredevil stuff, like. It feels like he's bringing in almost every single aspect of Daredevil from, like, Frank Miller's run back in the 80s all the way up until, like, Charles Soule's run. Because you have stuff like, you know, he's bringing in Elektra. Uh, Matt had everybody forget his identity thanks to the workings of the Purple Children. He brought in Christian McDuffie from the Mark Wade one. He even brought in Mike Murdoch, too. And then you have the annual one, which it's like Mike uses this magical wishing stone to basically make him a part of continuity which I find really funny considering what ends up happening to him in Devil's Reign. You know, no spoilers, obviously, but it just feels like the fact that he's just really pulling out all the stats when it comes to the Daredevil. Yeah, saying that, I do actually need to catch up on the recent run. It, it's one of those things when, like, I, I know I'm going to read it eventually, but if I that's something that it's not really a priority at the moment, but I, I'm looking forward to sort of catching up on it in like trades or whatever because sometimes you just have to prioritize other things in terms of single issues that's totally understandable man like uh just the other day when i went to go pick up my book my my books uh, i actually had to remove a lot of other stuff that i really wanted that was really looking forward to reading like uh that new power rangers ninja turtles crossover that's happening in december i had to unfortunately pull that from my pull list because i can only afford so many books at the moment and i know i really want to read it but to be honest that's like I can just read it when the trade happens. Like, I totally get it. It's very much understandable. Yeah. And actually, funny enough, this is something I mentioned on the episode I recorded yesterday, but in terms of episodes, probably been out for, again, a few months by now. But in terms of, like, supporting, like, libraries, in terms of, like, I've never actually used Hoopla, but it's something that I've heard good things about. And then, again, there's, like, lots of different options for comics if apart from just sort of the monthly issues and like whether that's like collective editions or like libraries or other I mean like the yeah I know that the streaming services like Marvel Unlimited and DC Infinite especially with their ultra plan with like there's like a one month delay I know lots of people are like upgraded to that too because it was worth it and so it, it's yeah it can it there's, there's still a lot of work to be done to make comics more accessible but at least there's sort of like several available channels nowadays that are out there. Also, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Sony just announced that they're uh, releasing the newest trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse on December 13th, so that's pretty cool. That is very cool. Again, it's like a slight tangent, but I rewatched the original uh, a bit back, and like, each time I watch it, I enjoy it more. Like, I, I just, I, I feel like I appreciate it more. It is, like, genuinely a fa- such a fantastic movie. Yeah, in terms of uh, adaptations of Spider-Man, I feel like that uh, the 
Spider-Verse movie and also Spider-Man PS4. And even a little bit more recently with the MCU stuff with No Way Home, those are like some of the best possible adaptations of Spider-Man that you could possibly make. Into the Spider-Verse especially because it gets to the understanding that anybody can be under the Spider-Mask. Because the beauty of Spider-Man is that because he's completely covered in a head-to-toe costume, he can literally look like anybody underneath there. And Spider-Verse was like, let's take advantage of that and literally make him anybody. Yeah, exactly. And even on like a technical level, in terms of like all the different characters, uh, not only like different art styles, but different like frame rates and the whole thing. I remember first hearing about like Miles's frame rate, like literally increasing throughout the movie as he gains like confidence, like showing that on like a technical level and not just the like story-wise. Is it's just like incredible. It's just it's such a good movie. I'm so excited for when the new one releases. Yeah, like because because I got pushed back, didn't it? So, but it it would, it would definitely be worth it. Hopefully. Oh yeah, they're taking that time to make it even better. Yeah, and that's the main thing. As long as it's even better than right. So, did you know that he co-wrote a Hulkling? And for a Hulkling one shot in twenty twenty. Yeah, that's right. Was that for the uh for the Empire event? Yeah, Anthony Alebriera, uh Manuel Garcia on arts, Cam Smith inks, Trina Farrell on colours, Travis Lanham on lettering. Yeah. Again, I feel like we're going on some tangents, but that, that's that's always fun. Did you ever read Empire out of interest? Um, no, because I think that was also around that time frame when I really wasn't reading anything from uh, or DC. Yeah, of course. Because I had heard stuff about it. Like, I know for a fact that I think the Empire one-shot that Chip wrote with a couple of others, uh, I know that actually won a GLAAD award, which I think was pretty mm. cool. It really reminded me I should probably get around to reading the Young Avengers at some point. Yes. I picked up the omnibus for that, the original... Run like basically covers everything from the original run up to Children's Crusade and leads nicely into the current getting uh Jamie McKelvey on the bus and yeah it's like the the original the original one and Children's Crusade are, are, are very good I, I enjoyed them the stuff in between is a varying quality but it's still interesting and worth a try especially if you can get that massive omnibus I know it's always expensive but do what I can. Yeah, and I have to say, I remember seeing the Jim Bartel cover for that issue, and absolutely beautiful. I, I don't think I've ever bought like a one in twenty-five. I think maybe twice I've maybe only like two one in twenty-five range variants, and that's one of them. Yeah, Jim Bartel's artwork is great. Like I think I first became aware of her when she started doing the covers for She-Hulk. It's like, man, those look amazing. Her dream. Yeah. Work- so good. Yeah. And I remember when I sort of did like a Wicked and Hulk thing read through in 2021. And I so I got to Empire. It was it was fine. It was it was fun. The Wicked and Hulk and stuff was cute, but yeah, as an event it was just okay. <laughs> Speaking of awesome covers, there was also a really interesting mini-series out a couple of years ago from Chip with covers by Terry Dodson and Dodson, uh, Dodson's, and I love 
those covers, that style. Whereas X-Men Fantastic Four is, is focused on Franklin Richards. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. or Yeah, that's right, because that was during the Krakoa era, or like when the Krakoa era really began to bloom. And because Franklin Richards is technically a mutant, they were basically debating whether or not he should be allowed to stay on Krakoa because of that. I never actually read it because, you know, I wasn't really well aware of what the history of, like, like especially with that Krakoa era of X-Men, like, since that initially started, I haven't, like, touched X-Men with, like, a five-yard stick mm. because I've, like, I have no idea what's going on right now. Because recently, Amazing Spider-Man did a, uh, a Hellfire Gala tie-in in which he teamed up with Wolverine, Patrick Gleason did artwork, and there was stuff going on in which Moira McTaggart had, like, kidnapped Mary Jane and was, like, using her as a means to get into the gala, and, like, she was also a robot for some reason, and I'm like, oh, this must be tying into the X-Men stuff, because I have no idea what is happening right now. It's, it just makes me think of that, like, Simpsons thing. It's like, it's about a time-traveling robot that travels back in time for some reason. It's like, this, yeah, it's absolutely wild. Yeah. I, I remember picking up that that series. I read Houses of House and Powers of X like as it was coming out in the summer of 2019 because it seemed like the cool thing to. Like, I mean, those covers are just awesome, and I think it had sort of such a, like a grandeur about it. It was kind of difficult for me to like not get swept up in the. But then I didn't actually sort of any read any of the lines that launched out of it, but I did read that X Men Fantastic Four was everything was staying in. Yeah, it, it it was fun. It was, I feel like it's sort of undermined by a red corn about Franklin Richards later on in Slot's Fantastic Four run. But still, for what it was, it was somewhat interesting and worth a read. That's good, at least. Oh, uh, yeah. So, sort of being roughly moving chronologically, but most recently, I know he's been working on Batman, the main Batman title. Oh, yeah. What have you been thinking of that so far? Um, so, so a little bit of a disclaimer for the viewers. Um, so Batman, the new Batman volume, the it's currently like I think at the time of this recording it's on 129. It's about to head into 130. This was like the rebirth Batman that ended up launching with like Tom King initially writing it. Uh, and oh yeah. James Tinney the fourth took over when City of Bane ended. And then after Fear State ended, Joshua Williamson did a brief thing, and now Chip Zdarsky took over. Um, and so this is like the first like mainline Bat book that I've read in three or four years. And it's absolutely fantastic. Like Chip very much takes that understanding of the characters that he one thing that I really love about Chip is he always has a firm grasp characters and the world and complementing that Jorge Jimenez's artwork is just beautiful he changed it up very he changed it so like oh it's a little bit more darker because you know Chip was like you know I want to do something darker and then Jorge was like okay yeah and it's cool that I heard like originally when the run was being teased that it was going to be something slightly different to what Jimenez had done on Tiny's Batman run and I think that was something they sort of both talked about which was Always something that I thought was interesting to note in terms of uh, uh, having those sort of different like styles and art for like the two different runs and stuff like distinguished. And only one little minor criticism that I do have is that, and this isn't a book problem. This is more so like a DC thing. Like for Detective Comics and Batman, for some reason they charge every issue a dollar, but they try and justify it by having 
a backup story being told in it so they could justify the price increase. I will say, however, the backup stories of Batman have been great. So far, there's been two. And they were both written by Zdarsky. One was um, from 125 to 127. It was Selina Kyle hunting down the children of Oswald Cobblepot after he has supposedly died. And the other one, which is run from 128 and is going to conclude in 130, is uh, Zurin R. Year One, or it's called I Am a Gun, which focuses on the beginnings of the Zurin R. persona of Batman, which I think has been really fantastic. Yeah, I really loved how that's complemented the main story. I, I mean, yeah, it, it can be a bit tricky and annoying when they charge that like extra dollar for what, like eight extra pages or whatever it is. But uh, I think mean, at least if they're going to do that in this case so far, and they made Batman wrong, you know, I don't know that not all the backups since they started doing that with some of the titles of Infinite Frontier have been good, but at least so far they've been interesting. Eh? We'll have to see where where they go after this, but I mean, I'm looking forward to it at least. Yeah, and I love how the fact that the follow-up storyline after Failsafe is called The Batman of Gotham, but it's Bat-Man. It's funny because Chip on his old convention banners, he would be like, the creator of Bat-Man, and then there was in parentheses, citation. Yeah, I remember... We had sort of like a brief like fun interaction on Twitter with him, and then yeah, yeah, then you were sort of like commenting something like that, that effect, and that 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 was a good time, mate. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, I mean, Spider Man would be proud. Don't forget, you can't forget the hyphen. I mean, to be fair, like typographically, it feels like the right. You know, like when you like uh, like a word comes into your head for how you want to describe something, and you're like, where did that come from, mate? Like, I know what that means, but it feels like it came out of nowhere, but it feels like the perfect word to describe the... Anyway, the, they actually sort of, like... If you look at those old, like, Batman covers from, like, I guess, like, the gold, the Golden Age and the Silver Age, they actually have it like that on the cover, even though it's, like, technically, like, Batman. It's, like, it says, like, Batman with the hyphen, and uh, I always think that was really interesting. Uh, Golden Age stuff is very interesting because that was, like... See, this was during the formative years of the Batman, and I find it funny the fact that uh, Bruce nowadays has this whole big thing against guns, but back then, Golden Age, Bruce just did not mess around, and there's one page in particular, and you see him, and he's like holding a pistol or whatever in his hand. It's like, Batman nowadays would never do that. Uh, yeah, and yeah, just looking up, I suppose like there isn't actually a hyphen between them, but there's like a space between them, it's like Bat based man of like the there's like a bat head in the middle that's very interesting at least to me it is a very interesting choice stylistically i do appreciate in the batman run that it's sort of bringing some interesting ideas that i wasn't really expecting like i, I was not expecting zoranar to like show up i don't i'm not sure i'm not sure who was like i just remember the by saying it, be like, oh, like, oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I was definitely not expecting that turn at all because the last time that we ever saw like the Zurin R persona of Batman was like when Grant Morrison was doing their Batman run, and then there was like during like the Black Case Files, I think was it, and they established that Zurin R was this backup persona that Bruce had created, in which on the off chance he would ever be mentally compromised, he would have a backup. But the problem with Zurin R is that. 
He's basically what would happen if you took the man out of the Batman and he's just the bat. It's funny because, you know, like on Instagram, those comic fan, oh, not like fan, but like fact accounts and the fan accounts, I guess, where they, they would you know, like post, they'd be like, did you know, like so-and-so this? And I, I just remember seeing that one time and it's like, did you know Batman is like a secret backup personality of either comes too mentally like defeated to fight like well isn't that neat because batman has the batman has the ultimate contingency plans for everybody including himself yeah apparently yeah it's been so fun and it's just been such I a think, go ahead no I, I was gonna say yeah and but by the time this airs we might know even more we might still have many questions probably but I, I have no idea where it's going to go, like, it, like in the next issue alone, or like let alone the next arc, especially as you say, with the name and the mysterious solicits we've seen so far. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it uh, because Mike Hawthorne, who actually worked with Zdarsky previously on his Daredevil run, is actually serving as the artist for this next run because I believe the reason being is Jorge Jimenez is currently doing that new Nemesis series with Mark Miller. Ah, uh, yeah. That yeah, that'll be it. Once Jorge is finished with that, he'll be back on Batman. So for the time being, they got Mike Hawthorne. And I honestly don't mind Mike Hawthorne's art all that much. Uh, so I'm very excited. Yeah, I'd, I knew I knew Jimenez was taking a break, but like I'd forgotten that was the reason. I'd forgotten that like connection. It was just weird because I saw a post from Jimenez about the new Nemesis book, but then I'd like forgotten that they were sort of like connected. It's like, oh yeah, it's like that's why he's not doing. But yeah, that would make sense. Again, a slight side note, but I remember when that was announced, reading the, I think like bidding, bidding cool did like an article on some like the messed up moments from the first series, like really messed up. I was like, well, this is horrifying. Mark Millard, he's um, he's written some good stuff over the years. Like I read Kick Ass like a like a long, long time ago. I probably read like a couple of other things here and there, but um. I saw like some of those panels from Nemesis, and it was like, "Oh, this is this is really, really bad." So, so, so bad. And and apparently, they're supposed to be making a Nemesis movie too. And I think it's being written by the same person that did like Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fresnel, I think is her name. So I'm like, how they're gonna make that adaptation work? Yeah, I was just, oh god. Yeah. Oh no. Let's move on from that. Let's not reflect on Nemesis. Yes. Probably. So, how much of his uh, indie work, like Image and other things, have you read? Um. So, okay, I've read All Nighter issues one through five. So, like the first season of All Nighter, because mm, did a trade release via Dark Horse. At the time of this recording, issues 6 through 10 are available, but you can only read them through Comixology. They haven't released a trade yet. And I have read all of Public Domain so far. I've read the first five issues that have released thus far, and they're both really fantastic. They're both very, very different in terms of the stories that are being told, but I think that the way that they are being told is really well done, really innovative stuff. Public Domain is one of my favorite series that has released far this year because I really love those stories that showcase the medium that they're about. Like, one of my all-time favorite movies is Ed Wood by uh, Tim Burton and stars Johnny Depp, and it's the making 
of how Ed Wood made three of his most infamous movies of all time, like Glenn or Glenda, Bride of the Monster, and Plan 9 from Outer Space. And even my favorite book that has released this year was It's Lonely at the Center of the Earth by Zoe Thorogood. And it's mainly about her in the later months of 2021 as she struggles to find some kind of meaning as she's also having to fulfill her duties as an artist doing stuff like rain and going to conventions and other things like that. It's just, I really resonate with those stories that showcase the people who make the entertainment that you consume. Yeah, exactly. That's always fascinating. I remember public domain, it was something that I was aware of. And for some reason, I, I just never picked up the like first issue. I remember like seeing the first issue on the shelf and like hearing good things about it. But I, I was just sort of, like already reading enough. But then I eventually, it was like uh, so early, early October 2022, where like maybe a week or two before the fifth issue, and I just like caught up and just read the whole thing so far, and I was like, yeah, this is this is really good, and I think it, it, it might have helped that I read it uh, like in that smaller time frame, just because maybe like the pacing of it, but yeah, it uh, yeah, I, I I think you said it best when I said it, it is really intriguing look at like something like something like the end of politics and inner workings of comics and the industry and i still need to read it slowly at the center of the earth trust me man you I'm will like, not regret it because it is such a good book Very yeah i've had so many good things about it i i, I love to work on rain and uh i actually first uh heard of zoe thorogood a couple of years ago because like one of my the old comic tubers that uh, Pete no longer does comic tube but he did a top 100 books of 2020 list and he mentioned that one of them was it's the impending blindness of Billy Scott which I think was like Zoe's first big oh yeah book and I'm like huh that looks interesting and then uh, earlier this year uh when I went to GalaxyCon she was one of the guests that was there and I'm like wait Zoe Thorogood that name sounds familiar Look her up. She was the one who did Impending Blindness. But this guy's like, oh, wait, I remember that. Uh, that was that book from a couple of years ago. And then obviously, of course, at that point, she had done Rain. She did a couple of other things here and there. Uh, it's Lonely hadn't been published yet, but it was very much on its way. And yeah, she's just so cool. She's really nice. Yeah. Have you ever read any of the Silver Coin issues of interest? Um... No, I don't even know what the silver coin is. It's a series from Image where the art is all done by Michael Walsh, but each issue is like a different writer's tale of involving this like silver coin. And Chip Zdarsky did the first issue. Like the rest of the series that I've read at least. I haven't read all of them, but I read some of them. It's sort of being mixed quality. But that, like, first issue was, like, really great. And, like, I'm looking it up, like, now, like, these are some pretty big names. I mean, you got Chip Zdarsky, yeah. Jeff Lemire, Joshua Williamson, Ram, Ram V, uh, Matthew Rosen. Yeah. James Tiny in the Fourth? That's cool. I have to check it out now. Yeah, especially because you can probably read that first issue on the Image website because they can... They have that like page of pretty first issues, which is always neat. Yeah, that's actually really cool. The fact that they do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Have you ever read or heard of Newburn? He is doing with what's it? Uh, Jacob Phillips. 
Yeah, I actually remember seeing an ad for that in a book that I was reading not too long ago. And uh, he actually released the first issue for free, like on his newsletter too. Like you don't even need to be like a part of the paid tier or whatever. Like you can just download the first issue of Newburn for free. And I think I either saw the trade for volume one or if it was for Stillwater volume one, which he's also doing right now in Barnes Noble. And I just thought to myself, no matter where I go, this man and his work will always follow me. Yeah, I read the first issue of that, and it, it was good. Not something that I was particularly bothered about following monthly, but something I want to read someday, eventually. So many series like that. We, we always say that as comic fans, don't we? Yeah, the many woes of a comic fan. Just, yeah, I'll, I'll get to reading it at some point. Like three to five business years. <laughs> business years. Um, and yeah, and I mean, the art, so... Just like looking at the covers for the All Nighter on League of Comic Geeks. I, I love the art for that series by, oh yeah, Jason Liu, Paris um, Alini. Sorry, I mispronounced that. It's Bellicar lettering is always fantastic. It's uh, like a fun sort of like cartoony style. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, I was just, because I was about to say, like, um, I believe the fact that Chip had actually previously worked with Jason Liu on another comics allergy original yes. called Afterlift. And I have no idea what the heck that's about, aside from it involves a car. What it does or what it's about, I just know that there's a car. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a very sort of like dynamic cover. And and again, I think that's on my wish list, but especially after the All Night, because I, I, I loved that first um, arc, that first trade. It's, it's such a cool idea. I really also like the idea, too, the fact that any fictional idea that exists could actually pop into the real world like vampires or the actual frankenstein monster or other things of the sort it felt like a nice twist on some of the ideas that tiny and and simmons but a car have put forward in department of truth where it's sort of like a different sort of twist on that idea with like superheroes and monsters and it's like a whole different tone but I thought it was sort of very similar to like themes. I still need to get around to reading Department of Truth because a lot of Tinian's work that's being released nowadays, like Something is Killing the Children, Wind, Nice House on the Lake, you know, upcoming stuff like Blue Book, I hear nothing but great things about, but it's like, I just haven't had the chance to read them yet. Yeah, especially those like Substack books when I just saw waiting for them to come out like physically. I know the one that I really want to, I mean, oh, actually, it's speaking of comicsology books, it's a comicsology one, but after We Have Demons and Night of the Ghoul, written by Scott Snyder with uh, Greg Capullo and Francisco Francovino, respectively, I really want Claire and Francis Manipal to get print release because I loved that. Like, I, all, all three of those were great of that first wave, but like Claire in particular was my favourite because I just adore Manipal's artwork. So I'm hoping that gets a print release. I do too, because obviously I'm a big fan of Scott Snyder's work. Um, obviously his Batman, it's influential for a reason, you know, Court of Owls, uh, Endgame, Super Heavy, all the other stuff. But I actually read the first volume of Noctera that he did a while ago. And I always really love seeing those creators that I mainly know from Marvel and DC work being able to work outside of those restrictions because you can still see methods and elements of their storytelling except because now it's a creator-owned book they're able to really push farther 
with some of the ideas that they want to be able to do or the themes that they really want to be able to present in their books. Yeah, definitely. I always love hearing sort of in that vein, uh, hearing Snyder talk about like the ideas and what like his books mean to him and what sort of he's hoping to sort of push forward and um, think about. Like, I, I was thinking just fascinating in that sense. Like even something like death metal, um, like metal and death metal, where you might think, oh, it's just like a crazy like smash them together superhero event that company crossover, but like there's no possible way there's like any sort of deeper meaning to that. And then and then he like you hear him talk about it, and it's like, oh well, this like signifies this, and like what what I meant was like this and this, and it was like okay, now I, I love it even more because. And so a similar thing happened with the uh, witches trade with, with Jock on art, where like I like I enjoyed that experience, but because each issue had like back matter about like his inspiration and things. And so in the trade, they sort of like left it until the end and put it all at the end. So like after that long thrill ride of that book, and then reading that all at the end, it's like an extra thing. I was like, oh, I love this book even more. I just. It's always fun hearing like creators thoughts and ideas about the books. It's always cool whenever you hate like, you know, um, currently right now, a great example of this right now would be like Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths right now, because I love Joshua Williamson as a writer. I first became aware of him when he started working on The Flash when it began during 2016. And I think he had like the longest like run out of any writer when they first began a book on DC Rebirth to like the end of like 2020 with like finish line and whatever. And so yeah, yeah. and him talking in interviews about how like Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths is in addition to being a sequel to well, regular Crisis on Infinite Earths, but really showcasing and spotlighting the legacy of the DC universe was really something special. Like, Seeing those pages from issue two in which you see Nightwing fighting Deathstroke was really amazing. And then that little bit, I don't I don't know if you saw it, but it was that page that uh I think it was David St. Pierre, I think is his name, or Daniel St. Pierre. But it's that page in which you see Dick in his classic like Teen Titans era Robin outfit, and he's like facing off against Deathstroke, and it's like it's such a cool page and it represents so much just in that one thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very intrigued to see how it ends. Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't not enjoyed it. The I mean, the art, of course, has just been fantastic, but it's maybe been slightly underwhelming, but I am interested to see how it ends. Especially when you got Dawn of the DC Universe, which is going to be happening in January with stuff like Action Comics, Superman by Joshua Williamson, um, pictures of Superman John Kent by Tom Taylor, which will continue on with what doing with Superman, Son of Kal-El, and other things like that. And then all the new books that they're going to be releasing too. Like, uh, I'm really excited for that Shazam book that Mark Wade and Dan Moore. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And speaking of books that should be fun, I mean, I guess this is probably long over by this point, but I was looking at my pull list to see when Dark Crisis 7 comes out. And I saw that not only is next New Corporate Day, as of this recording, Batman 130 coming out, the conclusion to the failsafe arc. Also, do a Powerbomb Seven is coming out, and I, especially after the way issue six ended, I cannot wait to see how that ends. And I feel like knowing Daniel Warren Johnson, there is a possibility of tears, but we'll have to see. I've heard a lot about uh, Daniel Warren Johnson's work, and especially about to do a 
the power bomb. I'm planning on checking out the trade when it releases in March because I've literally heard nothing but praise for do for do a power bomb and a lot of his other work too with stuff like Murder Falcon, Beta Ray Bill, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, Extremity, and a ton of other stuff. So I'm very interested in checking it out. Yeah, I remember. I think it was. Yeah, there, there was it was it was something that I was sort of on my radar, and I might have trade waited or I might have tried out the first issue anyway. But there, there were just sort of some people that were just like hyping it up so much that was like, oh, you need to check this out when it comes out, and I did, and then it's it's absolutely wild indeed. <sighs> I think. Oh yes, that there, there, there was one more of his indie series that I wanted to mention. But before we get to that, did you ever read Batman the Night when it was going on? I think that's so recently concluded, but yeah. So uh, initially, I actually for the first like three or four issues, I actually wasn't reading it. But then when I ended up hearing about how Zdarsky had nailed the gig of being the mainline Batman writer, I figured, well, there might be a chance the fact that there's some stuff that he did in this that might factor into the new like mainline Batman. And there was this compendium edition that DC released that had like the first three issues that they sold together for like, I think $7.99 or whatever. And it also included a preview of Batman 125 and in his walls. I'm like, well, now I have no excuse. So I checked it out. I really dug it. Um, and I basically read the series in its entirety as it was going on month to month from like issue four or five onwards. And it's really amazing being able to see like Bruce's journey as he travels the world and he learns the tricks of the trade about how he ends up becoming the Batman, like issue seven, how he ends up meeting with Zatanna and his first encounter with magic or his first encounter with the man that would become Ghostmaker or his eventual final test in which he ends up facing off against Ra's al Ghul for the first time. And all of it was really fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the artwork is by Carmine the Gian Domenico, again, might not be how you pronounce it, so apologize, but, and even Presencio and Cutters, and yeah, I remember, it's like at the time, I was writing for a site that got the DC issues, review PDFs, and so I, I checked out the first three issues, and I was like, this is good, but I didn't feel like particularly motivated to read it, like, I don't know. Yeah, but like, again, now it's all wrapped up. It's probably something to just check out and read on all at once. I do recommend checking out the trade when it does eventually come out. I think that there's going to be a hardcover that will be releasing later in the summer of 2023 that will have like all the issues together. So I think it will probably work better as like, this big binge read as opposed to like having to wait month to month to pick up each of the issues. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned this. I felt like I meant to mention it and just forgot. But because it's also Carmine did the art on Summer Williamson's Flash that we mentioned, and his art was great there. So it was it was definitely exciting to see his work on something else, something new, relatively new, new Batman comic. DC's bread and butter. Mm. So finally, before we wrap up, I just wanted to touch on Stillwater. I think that's the one. So comic. I've read that we haven't sort of talked about it yet. Have you read any of Stillwater? Um, I don't know much about Stillwater aside from the fact that one, it's wrapping up soon. I think it's going to be yes. 
And two, I know the fact that he's writing it under Skybound, which is the production company mm. that Robert Kirkman founded and also did stuff like Invincible, Walking Dead, Firepower, Oblivion Song, and a couple of other things, too, like Dark Ride, for example, which is currently being done by Joshua Williamson, and Chroma by Lorenzo Di Felici. Mm. I remember when it came out, that was like, there was a time in when it released in like late 2020 when I really got into uh, like image comics and like indie comics was I'd read the first volume of something to King the Children over that summer and I was like okay yeah like these are good and then there were like loads of new ones starting like Stillwater and Department of Truth and uh like, like everything is like Once in the Future and Philadelphia going on and Undiscovered Country and so it, it was sort of something that really struck it interesting time. I remember when the issue one of that came out, and I was still like, very new to like comics Twitter. But I just remember asking, it was like, oh, like was this worth reading? Was it worth picking up? And those people replied saying, it was, or relatively low, saying it was good. I was like, well, I guess I guess I have no choice. It's been interesting. And I mean the 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 artwork by Ramon Carey Perez and Mike Spicer again. Like Spicer working with Daniel Warren Johnson on his books that do a power bomb. But yeah, it sort of strikes that like grounded feel, but then I don't. Know, it, it, it's all quite cool how Zdarsky has managed to write like the character relationships and dynamics throughout the series, and how it sort of evolves and develops. And the artwork, like I said, it's sort of grounded, but it still feels very like mysterious and almost like a like a black mirror kind of way. It's got that sort of like unsettling where. Like it looks like normal and grounded, but you can just tell that something's just like a bit off and not right. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to check that out because you know I remember seeing a trade for it at Barnes and Noble uh, like not too long ago, and I'm gonna double check and make sure if it's still there because I really want to read it. But this actually reminds me about how it's amazing to me about how writers like Chip Zdarsky are able to work on so many projects and have all of them be quality, because within this past year he's had to do stuff like. Batman, Batman the Night, uh, Daredevil, uh, Stillwater, uh, he recently just launched Newburn, uh, there's the Substack stuff like Public Domain and Captara, which is a pre which is a continuation of a previous image thing that he did back in like 2013, 2015, maybe. And it's just crazy to think about how he's able to put out all of these books. And there's still ones that he's currently working on that hasn't been announced yet, like a new miniseries that he's doing that's supposed to release sometime next year and have all of them be of consistently great quality. Yeah, for sure. It's always impressive when sort of like creators can put out, uh, it's not, not just sort of like uh, like a vast quantity of books, but also different like types. Like I think of like Scott Snyder of all his different like comicsology books and James Turney and some of my favorite writers that sort of put out these like different books and like Department of Truth, something that's with children and wind and nice house on the lake. And, and then, also, it's always quite cool when like creators can have their like own things concurrently to the superhero titles. Something like Kelly Thompson's Captain Marvel and like her Black Cloak, starting with like Meredith McLaren. Yeah, sounds right. And then Becca Carey on Letterers from Radiant Black. I'm very excited to read Black Cloak because I haven't read much from Kelly Thompson because. I remember reading like a couple of miscellaneous things that she's done over the years. Like she did a couple of issues of Amazing Spider-Man during that Beyond era. I've also read a couple of her It's Jeff panels with Jeff the Landshark. 
and those are adorable. Um, oh yeah. Very excited to read Black Cloak because I really am excited to see what happens when you have, as mentioned beforehand, uh, writers who are able to work outside of Marvel and DC. And it's for a writer that I know a little bit about, but um, not too much. But I'm really excited to really learn more and read about you know her work. Yeah, for sure. So finally, before we wrap up, is there got anything else that you want to mention or talk about or anything that you think that people should be picking up or that sort of thing um okay in particular obviously before we wrap up uh just a couple of quick reading uh recommendations for me um obviously of course i highly recommend checking out the books of the massive verse they're all fantastic radiant black rogue sun dead lucky uh and of course you got all the upcoming stuff like inferno girl red and the new supermassive that they're doing um you know those have all been really quality stuff i recommend people checking those out Recently, Jason Aaron started a brand new book over at Boom Studios entitled Once Upon a Time at the End of the World. Uh, read the first issue of that, thoroughly enjoyed it, and very much think the fact that more people should check it out because I think it is a really, really unique tale about the end of the world because it's not really about the end of the world. It's more so about these two people who happen to meet and fall in love and the setting is set in the end of the world. And also that new Blue Beetle series, Graduation Day, officially ended up launching. Oh, yeah. Really great the fact that Jaime is going to be getting a new book, especially right before his movie is supposed to be coming out in August of next year. So that's going to be really cool. Um, also, I really want people to check out Chainsaw Man, uh, both the manga and the anime, because it is insane. Like, if you're looking for just an absolutely just balls-to-the-wall insane concept or premise that has really real emotions and characters rooted in it, then I highly recommend checking out Chainsaw Man. Yeah, that always sounds so incredibly wild. And and it's fun, like, seeing your, like, profile picture of it as, as the moment, at the moment. Yeah, it uh, sounds interesting from what I've heard about it. All those books in particular, just, I've heard some good things that have yeah. released, yeah. So, to start wrapping up, where can people find you out there on the comics community um on the internet on the internet uh you can find me on twitter i am at massiveverse central or at massiveverse sen um on league of comic geeks i am anomaly 616 um on youtube i am owens reviews um, where i will occasionally upload stuff like not just you know like I'll, I'll, i'll do stuff every now and again but you know obviously you know timing and scheduling has always been a little bit difficult in terms of that but i usually try to upload at least something and i believe that covers everything yeah it's cool i was writing a description for this episode and like seeing on youtube channel and like how far back it goes like it's like you've been doing that for quite a while which i thought was quite impressive actually i just started doing youtube for fun just because i really wanted to share my love of stuff and, like, I still think to this day, like, the Jojo Rabbit review that I did back in, like, the fall of 2019, I think it's, like, my most viewed video at almost 100 views. And I know it's not, a like, in the grand scheme of things, it's not, like, a lot, a lot. But for a really small YouTube channel and someone like myself, I'm like, that's a lot of people. Yeah, for real. It's it's always fun when, like, um something sort of blows up in that sense, so like, relative to, yeah. So, any absolute like last minute? I, I feel like we've sort of covered uh, everything that we wanted to cover, but 
Those are like very like last last minute things to mention before we go. Um, yeah, uh, just one last thing that I wish to say is that I hope everybody has a great day uh, to anybody who's listening to this. Um, and also, I'm very excited for the upcoming Last of Us television series that is going to be coming in next year with Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. Uh, and yeah, looking forward to that. And also, uh, kids love chains. Absolutely. And also, try out Ready and Black, if you haven't already. I know we sort of mentioned that Owen here is like the uh, like main massive verse, like only massive verse, massive verse central, but that's like a really fun series and it's like a great community with the Discord and the podcast. So it's yeah, worth a try if you haven't already. There's I felt I felt there's sort of like a bunch of series that I sort of like always come back to. It's like there's like default recommendations on here and it's definitely one of them. Check out the massive verse, everybody, if you haven't already, because it is quality. Right. In general, I yeah, I just want to thank you for being on there, I, I feel like we had a great conversation and I'm excited for everyone to hear it eventually. I, I hope you have a great rest of your day as well. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on here. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at joetalkscomics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at joelovescomics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye!